Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. Sue Kalinsky is here. Sue, what's going on? Well, um, you know, we never talked about the wedding, the mob wedding. Oh, the mob wedding. That's what I went to New York for. Oh, that's right. You went to a mob wedding. Yeah. Oh, t- tell us now. So, first of all, where do they rank in the mob? Like, uh, are they high up? Are they like uh, Christopher Molisanti? They they like Tony Soprano? Where are they? I don't really know exactly where they are. I just know that um, there is connections there, for sure. Was it a really, really fancy wedding? It was very, very fancy. Oh, yeah. Black tie. Yeah. Um, at a beautiful country club. Um but there's just one thing that I, I have to tell you. Okay. So um, I didn't know a lot of people there. The, the, the guy who's, um, the reason why we were there is a friend of Tom and I from growing up. It's his daughter. So uh, we get there and it's the cocktail hour. Yeah. And, you know, we're sitting down at these like little tables. There's like four chairs at each table. And there's a woman who um, is married to somebody that I grew up with. Okay? okay. So I don't know her very well, but she's, you know, very nice, whatever. Yeah. So we were sitting down and, you know, having drinks and having some appetizers. And the father of the groom, who is allegedly, you know, the whole mob thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he comes over because there's an empty chair. Uh-oh. He comes over and he asks if he can have the chair. Okay. And the woman says, um, no, there's somebody sitting there. And I give her a look like, no, you, do you know who you're talking to? Right. And I look at him and I'm like. Take the chair. Just just take the chair. And she still kind of has like a little argument going on where she's like, you know, someone someone is really sitting there. And I said, Nanette, just let him take the chair. <laughs> <laughs> that, and, was it because you were afraid? Well, I, it was kind of like I was joking about it, but he gave her a look. Like he he his eyes just like darted at her, like, seriously. Did other people there know that it was a mob wedding? Well, I'm sure. Everybody on their side of the family <laughs> on knew. His side of the family knew exactly. Right. And then later on, she tells us that she went. She on her way to the bathroom. She bumped into these two guys, and they said that they were FBI agents. Oh God! <laughs> I'm so like, how did like, you know that? So she it's like they, the opening showed, scene of The Godfather. Exactly. She said they showed her their card. I'm like, really? They just kind of like volunteered, like we're FBI. You know? Wow. Yeah. You know, really I, wa- I got to go to a mob wedding when I was a little kid. You did in Philly. Have I not told you this story? This is this no. is a true story. So, my uh, my aunt Madge, who uh, lived in Philly. Uh, used to take me on walks when I was in Philly and she would sort of waddle from, from stop to stop and she'd stop at stoops and apartments and brownstones and all that kind of stuff. And I later found out that she was actually running numbers for the mob. That was her job. This would have been, you know, 1973 and they, there was no lottery. So she was running numbers. And uh, later on her daughter, Maureen got married and I must've been 12 years old. And it was the most elaborate, opulent, stunning, crazy, beautiful, expensive wedding I have ever been at. Dickie married Maureen. Now, Dickie, we all knew, 
was a made man, right? We knew he was one of those guys. And you knew that, you knew that at that young age? Yeah, well, well, we we knew we knew he was dangerous. That's what my my parents said. He's dangerous, <laughs> so so behave yourself. Uh, and later on, I found out two years later that uh, Dickie wasn't in the picture anymore. And I, when I say he wasn't in the picture, I mean he wasn't in any pictures. Dickie <laughs> Dickie was gone, and we never heard from him or about him again. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But it all started with Aunt Madge and running the numbers, running the numbers. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it, it, it really was a, a really, really fun wedding. That's know? great. That's Just great. fancy schmancy. Hopefully nobody food. gets rubbed out. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a head count of everybody that was there. Yeah. And maybe head count is, is the wrong word, the word, the, the wrong expression to use. But um, yeah, it, it, it was. It, was it really wasn't good. held at a place called Bada Bing. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That would have been way too obvious. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we got a really cool guest today. Our guest is a comedy legend. He's been part of every carnation of Conan O'Brien's show going all the way back to 1993. He's appeared in countless television shows and films over the years, and his new project is The Incredibly Inaccurate Biography of Andy Richter. It is now available on Audible. Andy Richter is with us. Andy, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So I definitely want to talk about the uh, the liography. Yes. Uh, but first, I, I got to ask you a little bit about uh, Conan O'Brien, who, you know, we, we all are huge who? fans. Con you you <laughs> might have heard of him. He's that tall guy with the red hair. Oh, right. My did, former co-worker. How did you I mean, first... Potentially future, too. How did you mind. first connect with Conan? Uh, I, the way anybody gets any job, I knew somebody who knew somebody. Uh, I was friends with Robert Smigel through a friend of mine uh, that had been on SNL uh, for a season. Um, and, and I just met, you know, we just met socially and hung out and hit it off and liked each other. And then, and he was, I was living in LA at the time and he was here uh, for the summer working on the ill-fated Hans and Franz movie. Mm. Uh, he, there, there was going to be a movie and he was writing it, but then Arnold Schwarzenegger had a big flop, um, last action hero. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. Sure. And he decided, he decided that he could no longer make fun of himself. So there was no Hans and Franz <laughs> movie. Um, but Robert was very good friends with Conan. And when Conan got the job, which I found out just like anybody, you know, hey, there's this guy replacing Letterman. Um, uh, Robert was hired as the head writer, too. It was kind of a package deal, I think, or, or Conan really wanted Robert to be the head writer. And Robert just called me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm, I'm working with this guy. He's really great. And, uh, you know, we're looking for writers and I put together a packet and uh, met Conan for lunch, and we hit it off really quickly. Uh, just because, you know, I mean, that that's not unusual when there's somebody that's kind of funny in the way that you're funny. It 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 doesn't take a long time to figure that out. And and he and I are very similar in in 
many ways just in terms of <laughs> well just liking to 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 just goof around you know like constantly constantly making jokes i mean he's worse than i am he's like exhausting to be around sometimes because <laughs> he doesn't turn it off but you know we just got together and made fun of things and teased and joked and laughed and uh, were stupid and um uh, and then we hit it off and he uh, he told me later that he called Robert immediately and said, hire this guy. And Robert said, well, let's wait till he writes something first. Let's see what he writes first. Um, uh, and then, you know, and then it just kind of, we had a natural rapport that was, you know, sort of evident around the office. And then I just ended up, it kind of ended up morphing into my on camera role. Yeah. So you, you were brought in as a writer and then at what point did, was it decided I'm going to make you my sidekick. Well, you know, I, I don't really know. And I actually, you know, I don't really know. And I've been asked that, uh, you know, for over the years. And I, I've never really asked for the specifics because I kind of don't want to, you know, I, I don't want it. You know, it what just ended up happening was when Conan started doing camera tests, um, the first one he did, which was really nothing, just kind of putting him on a set and and lighting him and, you know, and very kind of baby steps kind of thing. Cause, cause there were other camera tests, like where they, where he interviewed someone on our staff and then another one where a local chef came in and they did a cooking demonstration just as, you know, practice of all the typical talk show stuff. And from the very first one, Robert asked me to go sit by him and keep him company. And I didn't realize at the time that I was auditioning as the sidekick. I just was, I take, I took him at his face value and was like, all right, I'll go sit by him and keep him company. So we just sat there and goofed around and talked like we always do and always did. But then as it kind of started to go on, I kind of started to figure out, huh, you know, I've been sitting there next to him for every one of these things. And then Robert asked me if I wanted to be the, the sidekick on the show. And I, you know, I, I hesitated a little bit uh, because we were, you know, it and it wasn't unusual. Like I was hired as a writer, yes, but I there was it was with the understanding that there would be lots of opportunities to perform because almost all the writers that were hired were performers too, and we had this notion that we were going to have a kind of sketch hybrid talk show, you know, hybrid sketch talk show. And I thought, oh, maybe I want to, maybe I don't want to be confined to just being the sidekick. And then I, you know, I, within three seconds, I was like, well, who am I kidding? Yes. <laughs> I'll be on TV every night. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my sense of humor more than anywhere else came from Letterman, from watching yeah. Letterman when I was at Me too. Uh, Bowling Green State University. I'm like uh, every night. Uh, twelve thirty. We stayed up late and we watched David Letterman. Where where does yours come from? You mentioned Letterman, but but where else does your come from historically? Uh, well, I mean, my family. My I come from a long line of smart asses, uh, so that's that's a big part of it. Uh, my my dad's really funny and really sharp and really witty, and my um, my mom's pretty funny, but my also my aunt my. Uh, my mom's older sister, who my dad and my mom's older sister were best friends in high school. And my mom was sort of the tag along little sister. And then eventually my, you know, when they got older, my mom and dad got married. Um, but my aunt was hilarious. My aunt definitely, my aunt could have been, 
you know, she was in Chicago in the sixties. She could have just gone down the street and gotten in second city and, Mm. and been a comedian. She was that funny. So that was kind of the beginning of it. But I would also, I would say definitely Letterman. Letterman kind of showed me how, you know, like a new kind of way to be funny on TV. Um, SCTV was kind of that way. And, and, you know, and just like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the movies that were sort of came out of SNL, you know, like a lot of Bill Murray kind of movies um, are kind, you know, were, were formative in that way. Although Bill Murray, you know, the, the Bill Murray character kind of like the loser that knows better than anyone else. Like that character is <laughs> kind of, that character is kind of like falling out of favor because he, he does end up kind of being a sociopath, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like this guy is, this guy is, actually kind of antisocial and seems to have a lot of hostility and weirdness towards, you know, everything. You know, it's such a testament to, you know, you guys and the writing staff for kind of upping the silly factor, you know, because you came on after Letterman and, um, and created a whole new type of silliness. Thank you. That was sort of the, that was kind of the idea. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like there was some giant master plan it, because there's so much you're you're really fighting to survive. It felt more like, you know, swimming so you wouldn't drown. And you don't have a lot of time to be philosophical when you're doing something like that. Right. Um, but we definitely, it was on a case-by-case basis with bits that we thought of. And we did have a thing where we would, there, there could be a bit that we come up with that was very funny, that, we, that was a good idea, but we just dubbed it too letterman It was like too, too like kind of ironically detached and mm. too, you know, sort of just, you know, just kind of having that center sort of, that centered sort of guy commenting on how crazy everything around him was. Whereas... We, you know, we quickly figured out that our our thing was much more just kind of silly and weird and, you know, didn't sometimes just didn't even make any sense. You just had to go with it, you know, like we, you know, when we, we you know, we had a bit like robot on the toilet and it was like <laughs> that there's no reason that, you know, you can't you can easily say, why is there a robot on the toilet? And the answer is because just don't ask, just, yeah, listen, just, you know, just, just go just with watch it. it. Yeah. Um, I, I have one um, one and only Conan uh, story. I, you know, did stand-up comedy for a very long time, and I yeah. happened to be at a party that he was at before he got the gig. Um, and everybody said, "Oh, Conan O'Brien's here," and I didn't, I didn't know who he was. He was writing for The Simpsons at the time. Yeah. So we happened. And it was a party during the day, and and as we, I was leaving, he was leaving at the same time, and I had just, um, I was just on Star Search, and I got into the semifinals. Right. Uh huh. So as we were leaving, he looked at me and he said, oh, my God, he says, I think I know you. God, you look so familiar. And just as I was about to say I was on Star Search, he said, do you work at Ralph's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's funny because I actually went to a party with him at Bob Odenkirk's house to drop another Chicago-related name. Sure. Because Bob had worked on SNL and w- during a writer's strike back in, I don't know what year 
they all went back to Chicago or they went to Chicago. I mean, Conan hadn't been to Chicago, but they uh, did a show and a live stage show in Chicago while they couldn't be writing for SNL. And so that's how Bob knew Conan. And this was, I mean, this couldn't, this couldn't have been more than a month before he got the, the job. Uh, Cause I was in LA. I had, uh, I was here, I was here to do the movie cabin boy. That was what kind of made me move to LA and think mm -hmm. I'm, I live here now. And I went with uh, uh, my friend, Kate Flannery to drop another name uh, who played Meredith on the office um, she and I took our first improv classes together in Chicago and, sh and we both knew Bob. I knew Bob cause Bob was engaged to somebody at the time who was, I was on the same improv team. Um, and I went to Bob's house and I guess Conan was there and I, I don't have a recollection of him being there. There weren't a lot of people there. Um, it was kind of a daytime backyard barbecue and, uh, and it wasn't until, you know, Conan and I worked together for a couple of years before we realized, oh, yeah, we were at the same party with like 15 other people and just didn't happen, you know, to talk to each other because right, we right. didn't know each other. So, uh, you know, that's why eventually if 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 he hadn't gotten that job and I hadn't, you know, therefore gotten that job, uh, we would have eventually known each other anyway. I mean, just it was it was just a, a ticking time bomb of friendship happening. So, so uh, my mom is uh, 79 years old and she has just moved in with her boyfriend, uh, which is a little, <laughs> sexy. Yeah. Very, very sexy. He's, yeah. he's 80 and he is, I call him not stepdad Leo. Cause he will never be my stepdad. Um, <laughs> he is a huge, huge fan of, uh, of your show of the Conan show and has followed you guys all over the place. And he wanted me to ask you what it was like going from 1230 to 1130 when you did the tonight show and how the jokes had to change if they had to change at all. They, I mean, they did. They did. We didn't want to, uh, you know, there was, there was uh, an outside pressure that we felt that everyone said, you know, oh, Conan's too weird for 1130, which, I, yeah, I mean, to me, it's kind of, it's like an hour. It's not like, you know, it's, it's just an hour. It's not, you know, although it is an hour in which a lot of people fall asleep and, you know, and so, uh, there, you know, there was, there was some trepidation on people's part that we could hear, but we just, you know, we didn't worry that much about it, but we definitely did have to kind of take into account that we weren't just talking to college kids anymore. Like, cause on late night, it was, it was, you know, we had a pretty, well, I mean, throughout our entire careers, we had the youngest audience in late night, even, you know, being the old men that we are now, we still had the youngest audience in late night. Um, so we just, I mean, I don't know, you know, I can't think of anything sort of overt uh, that we did, but we, just, you know, we had to kind of, you know, there weren't, I think the masturbating bear made a couple appearances, <laughs> but just not as many, you know? Um, so, cause we were aware, like this is, we do have, you know, we are, well, I, you know, it is only an hour. We do have an older audience now and we do have to kind of, uh, you know, Tone just it down. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. I think, I think we didn't, you know, we, we did. I don't think we wanted to admit that, but we just kind of did. And we tried to, we just kind of made, try, you know, like 
our, like I said about, you know, some of our bits, you had to come to our bits, you know, like you, like it, you could say like, what is this? And, and if you say, what is this? You're probably not going to like it, but if you're kind of open to weird stuff, you had to kind of come to our stuff. Um, Whereas, you know, a lot of other late night shows are very user friendly. You know, it's like you don't have to work a lot to like understand, you know, there's no masturbating bear to, to confuse you and think like, what? A <laughs> masturbating bear in a loincloth? You know, they're just, you know. So I think we tried to we tried a little bit of a little bit more accessible kind of things that right. didn't require so much you know, uh, patience, <laughs> I guess. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, and that's, that isn't to say that we sit there and would try and think it, you know, I mean, you guys, you know, you think of something funny and you think about your, you sit, when you're sitting, th- trying to, when you write comedy, you're thinking of something funny. You're not thinking, how do I please a, you know, 52 year old grant, you know, a 52 year old, uh, housewife from, Omaha, you know, you, you, you just think what's funny, you know? Right. And what, and what, was there a big difference going to TBS from, from, you know, you know, network television? Um, not, not, not one that was imposed on us. TBS was really fantastic in terms that they let us do whatever we wanted. But I think that Conan want, Conan wanted to kind of get away from uh, I think that being on the Tonight Show had kind of just made him want to do a show that was more real, I guess. You know, that was just kind of about us being there for an hour and having less characters because he just, I, uh, you know, which which there there was always there was usually you know and in later years, not in the last few years because in the last few years it's been everybody's kind of been on board with doing whatever. Um, but there was, there could be some sort of push and pull between the writers and Conan where, you know, Conan would say like, Oh, I smell a character. Meaning, you know, like there'd be some, <laughs> you know, like a Viking in the audience, you, you know, <laughs> screaming about something. And he would, he'd be, you know, and the audience, uh, you know, our writers, you know, a lot of our writers, they, you know, they, they they were young when our show started and they loved the Vikings in the audience. And so our writers were like, we want Vikings in the audience. And Conan's kind of like, uh, we've done Vikings in the audience. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's try and keep it more real and just keep it kind of more funny. But I mean, that's just, that's just kind of like, that was, it was never like a major sort of uh, issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just was kind of, I think Conan just kind of wanted it maybe to just grow up a little bit, you know, wanted right, the show to right. grow up a little bit. Did, did he, was he ever in the writer's room with you guys? Oh, all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I actually, I mean, well, as time went on, his and my presence in the writer's room was mine in the early years was, was constant. I mean, I was for the first gosh, I don't know, probably the first five years, I was expected to produce bits, you know, I mean, in addition to being on camera, I mean, I knew after a few years, they're not, you know, I, my job is secure, I don't have to worry if I don't get enough bits on the grid on our, you know, like, you know, it's a big 
a big board and you plug, you know, with the, the axe broken down for each week and the guests and, you know, you got to put a bid in there. You know, you have to put Vikings in the audience in that, on a card and put it in that spot. So you fill that spot. And I was expected to do that. And early on, like I st- I was the one that started doing remotes um, just to have, it, you know, cause I was like an extra tool in the box and, and Letterman, and I think at the time too, Letterman had done so much remote work that they felt like Conan going out and doing it would be perceived as being too Letterman-like, um, which, you know, quickly. We Even realized. though, I mean, that was Steve Allen. Yeah. The that, that Letterman, that's, that's, everybody bars from everybody. That's right. what, yeah, but that's also too, it's like nobody invented ah. going out and making comedy in the field. Nobody invented remote bits. You know, the remote bits are reinvented by whoever does them, you know, now and five minutes from now yeah yeah so you know the remote bits that i did were different than the remote bits that conan did but when i would go like say i you know i'd go to like the miss america pageant and shoot all weekend that i was on me to get that edited i mean there was an editor there but it was on me to to tell him how to edit it so early on it was you know i was there a lot and conan was always active in the writer's room but you know after you're there for a couple of decades, you know, you sort of like, well, you know, I, I'll be in on the writing process at some point, whether it's, yeah. you know, whether it's like earlier or later, because it, you know, so there was, a, you know, because there towards the end there, there was a lot of times where, I mean, I wasn't part of the process of clearing bits, you know, the, our head writer would go to Conan and say, we have these different bits that we're planning and Conan would go like, yeah, I like that one or that one. Don't do that one. And then just as a permission to proceed to actually produce them. And I was never on that. So I frequently, when I got down to the floor for rehearsal, uh, it was the first time I was seeing the the comedy bits, but you know, like I say, after 20 years or so. Yeah. um, But, uh, but we all, but he and I both were, the and especially for me i was my writing ended up being rewriting and, and i kind of that was one of the roles that i served on that show was in in tandem with him kind of the final step in the quality control process right and i did over the years i did kind of just get a skill in fixing things you know like this needs a new ending or i'll tell you the the middle of this thing slows down just cut it out you know just that kind of you sit there and you you know you do the 10,000 hours of of whatever it is you 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 tend to get a handle on it sure, so that sure. kind of you know i refer to myself as the com- the comedy consigliere uh which you know most shows need because uh, you know i know when i've you know, when you're the number one on the call sheet, you need somebody that you can turn to and say, hey, is that funny or am I crazy? Because there's, you know, I have, I've, you know, you, you, I've written bits that I think are hilarious and everyone goes, eh. And you're like, all right, I guess it's not, you know, it's a, it is a democracy at some point. Yeah, right. Because um, you got to take a, you know, unless you're going to be a jerk about it, but you, you know, you got to take other people's opinions into account because it's not, a poem you know it's a comedy sketch it's gotta it's gotta resonate with other people um and you know and and like you know you also you get instincts of like what's going to work in front of a crowd and what's not going to work in front of it because they were you know there were bits that 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 would come out and 
and Conan and I would say, we're just going to sit there in front of the stone faced audience in the thing. And they're like, no, it's great. And like, no, it won't. And there were a couple of times where, <laughs> I mean, you don't really take that much pleasure in it, but all right, we'll do it. And then we do it. And most of the time we were like, yeah, that died, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. <laughs> we told you that was going to die. Yep. Okay. Well, well I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, what uh, doesn't die and what I've been uh, obsessed with and uh, listened to on a really long drive and have on my ESPN show, I've recommended uh, the incredibly inaccurate biography of Andy Richter on Audible is absolutely <laughs> knocked down, drag out, weird, weird, funny. I, oh, I mean, thank you. So hilarious. It is so great. Where did that concept come from this i guess you call it a lieography how would yes, you describe that was, it it was completely joel cohen who is a writer on the simpsons and has been a writer on the simpsons forever and um i actually i didn't really know joel very well but i knew his brother pretty well rob cohen who's a comedy writer who's you know both of them had been around forever and um joel i think got my email from rob and just sent me said hey i'm thinking of this idea and he meant it too as and and we'll see whether it happens as a refillable series like that they, there could that there could be another one down the pike about you know say Nick Offerman Nick Offerman does the narration but yeah that mm -hmm. you know he would be another another great subject for it but he wanted to do he had the idea of doing a biography where each chapter would be written by a different comedy writer and it would all be uh, bullshit. Can I say that? Here? Yeah, I don't sure. Know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that they would all, it would all be bullshit and also kind of like, and kind of roasty, you know, like, like a little bit insulting. Um, and that my, and that my voice would be throughout rebutting, you know, refuting, <laughs> being outraged. And he came up with the, with the phrase or, you know, with the, 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 the name lyography. And I said, sure, that sounds great. That sounds funny. I don't know if we can pull it off. And then we went, you know, we, he wrote up a proposal. We kind of went back and forth with it, uh, about it. We went to, you know, like he did most of the work, honestly, M my work was going to New York and selling it. I went to New York and went around to all the different publishers and, you know, made, you know, brightened people's lunch hours by, uh, making them a little, you know, you know, joking with them in their offices. And it and and we were pitching it as a book, and it ended up that Audible, uh, just it's it made the most sense to us, and Audible has a has a, a precedent of doing what could I think David Spade was the first person to do uh, a comedy book, a comedy uh, I don't know if it was a memoir or something, but to do it on on audio first, and then have it be actually be a print book later. Um, and so we, you know, I said that actually makes more sense to me because I know, you know, I know a performing, a performance venue better than I do a, a written word venue. Um, and then we, you know, we sort of went over a wish list of writers to do it, kicked it around, asked different people and, uh, and, and, and put it together and, you know, did revisions on it and it just, you know, and it, it took a long time and I, you know, COVID obviously got in the way of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very unwieldy project. I mean, it was, it's weird. It's weird to be the subject of something that is first of all, 
you know, it's purportedly your life, but it's all not. And it's written by some people, you know, some of these people, I don't even know them. You know, some of the writers, like I've never even met them. I know, I know most of them, I, you know, and I'm familiar with most of them and, and their work and some of them very familiar. Um, and it just, you know, it's just, it was crazy. It was still kind of, uh, you know, I still was kind of like, is this going to work? But it, it came out pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, you know. It's it's um, it's hysterical, and oh, it's, thank and, it's you. and and there's just that, that, that. What I love about it is is the silly details. Yeah, there's so many silly details. I don't want to give anything away, but just just remember Yarrow, okay? <laughs> 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 but I wanted to ask you, as far as the writing went, like, what was the mandate? And like, because I guess everybody was kind of writing in a vacuum; they were all writing their own chapters. Yeah. So, so what was the mandate for each writer? Just, you know, take the high school years, write Andy's high school years. Uh, you write Andy's college years. You write it, you know, you write Andy's, you know, first years with Conan, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and that was, I think all that was kind of, you know, they were the only parameters that were sort of given. And there were, you know, there were some revisions made some, I think mostly just kind of trims and stuff. Um but it just, you know, it kind of, that was sort of the idea was just to have an excuse to have these really funny writers yeah. write nonsense. You know, just just like pick a subject and just go with it. Uh, the subject being me and, you know, in my high school years or my whatever. And I don't even, nobody got in touch with me. I think they might have looked at Wikipedia. I think some people didn't look at anything. They just, you know, they just, just decided to just complete, do it in a complete vacuum. So is there nothing true? Like, like there's no chance you ever wanted to be a dentist or no. that you, uh, Southwest Airlines flight attendant was your inspiration <laughs> for comedy. Not, no. not, not a single grain of truth. Well, anyway. I mean, it's sort of that, you know, like the town I grew up in and, you know, and, uh, but no, I mean, sort of, you know, the, the, the mile markers, you know, that they, that they were assigned to do, like, I did go to high school, uh, you know, but I don't, but other than that, I don't think it, there's much in there that was, that was true. Yeah. Like you, you've been on Southwest Airlines probably. Yes, I certainly have. I certainly have. And I really, you know. The humor's overrated. It's really, <laughs> I actually, I could, I don't need an, uh, an airline to be funny. I, I don't, I, I prefer they not be funny, actually. <laughs> I don't I want know. that on my United flight. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I'd Just, like flight attendants to, to not wear shorts. We're not in summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> the, short, the shorts I'm fine, because I, and, and that's not like, that's not like a, a lecherous thing. It's like, I like people to be comfortable, but, you know, like, but I, it's also too, I mean, I'm sure you guys do this sometimes, like leave the comedy to the professionals. You yeah. Know, yes. Just, just, just I break sure this all the time. Right. <laughs> just right, and and we're captive. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> just leave it. Just you know, just make sure we get there. That's all I want. How did you know Ken Jennings? Ken Jennings is one of the writers uh, on uh, on on the book. How how did you know him? Uh, from Jeopardy, um, uh, because I have been on Jeopardy, and he's been on Jeopardy, and 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 from Twitter. You know, kind of we had the Jeopardy connection because um, I think I think I may be the uh, the the uh, in Celebrity Jeopardy the highest. Yes, that's yes, what Wikipedia yes, says. You yeah, are. yeah, yeah. Um, I was. I, I mean, in the 
previous iterate because they they made the money. I think they just added a zero to everything because I was on it. <clears throat> I was on it in the mid nineties in New York and did a remote for the Conan show about it. And I did very well then, but I think I was number three behind uh, Jerry Orbach and <laughs> uh, Charles O'Shaughnessy. I think the guy from the nanny, the English That's guy. Right. That's but, right. But it was, um, but the difference between us was like $15, you know, like we both were, we all were very high in terms of, of, of doing well. And then I was on again, there was a tournament of champions uh, and I did very well. Uh, I, I like over sixty grand or something. so. It made me. It made me think. Um, can you? You're obviously very, very smart uh, to, oh, to win on you. Jeopardy and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, do you have to be smart to be funny? Like, are there any dumb people that are funny? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There are. There are people. There are people who are annoying who are funny. There are people who are you, you know assholes who are funny. Um, like there's a, uh, I, I mean, I won't name names, but there's a guy that has terrible substance abuse problems, has been a, just a nightmare for a long time. And I don't mean to make light of substance yeah, abuse, yeah. but, but he also, in addition to that is like, is just, you know, I've done so many different shows, improv shows, shows at festivals with him where he's where it just ends up being about him because you know he's just this element of danger on stage you know like he comes on and then it's like oh it's this guy and you get so mad being on stage with him just about him you know because you, you the idea is you're not making it about you that's you know you're not supposed to do that you're supposed to it's all about all of us being out here but just whether or not he can help it he makes it about him and the most frustrating thing is he's fucking hilarious while mm. he's doing it just mm. funny as can be and and so yeah you can be you know you can be unlikable and be funny you, you know um it it's its own thing it's its own you know like you, you know it's like being sexy <laughs> you know what i mean like there's really dumb people that are sexy there's not particularly attractive people who are sexy but they just have this thing and that's and funny can be definitely like that too. I mean, it helps, and I do find that most it, going back to Jeopardy, most of the really the people that have done really well. Are, I mean, like if you did the top ten, I bet you seven of them are comedians because hmm. they're just used to thinking fast, and they got a lot of a lot of worthless shit in their mind about you know like facts and figures and stuff that they remember. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not dumb, but I also do just have like a lot of a lot of stuff in my mind that I don't know, you know, like uh, that I don't know why it's there. Like I don't know why I know that Sylvia Plath wrote the Bell Jar. You know, <laughs> it's just in there, and uh, and, and and it and it comes back out fast. And also, too, you, you know, you get to know like. With standard, it's like with standardized tests, you figure you get to figure out how they ask the question so you can sort of zero in on the answer. You know, like if it's like, you know, if it's like about a French king, you're, you know, you, odds are if you said Louis the 14th, you're going to be right. Yeah. Because you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, there was a, um, 
<clears throat> comedian that I knew many years ago, and he never made it very, very high up the ladder, but I had been performing with him, and I noticed um, he started wearing glasses on stage, which he had never done before, and then he admitted to me, and he was not a very good comic, he admitted to me that the reason why he was wearing glasses, um, and, and they, they had no prescription. Yeah, he said yeah. he wanted people to think he was smarter. Mm. I said, yeah. no, it's what comes out of your mouth is going to do yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're smart. That's on your face. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. Um, well, listen, uh, this has been fantastic. Um, I can't recommend more strongly. If you're going on a drive, if you want to, something fun to listen to when you're going to work in the morning, uh, the incredibly inaccurate biography of Andy Richter is so damn funny. Uh, and it's on Audible and strongly, strongly recommend. It's great, man. Thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And, uh, and, and thanks for helping me, you know, sell some audiobooks. Although I'm not, I can't call it audiobooks. They scold me. I have to say Audible Original. Audible Original. Which, you know, that's what everyone calls an audiobook, an Audible Original. But yeah, it is highly, highly original. That's for thank sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's fun. And I do, I do hope that, that, that Joel gets to do more of them with different people. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be yeah. cool. Andy, thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Andy Richter there. Funny guy. He really is a legend, man. He has been on TV for since 1993 doing Conan. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And and he left and had another career and then came back. Came back. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I wanted to bring this up. I went on vacation mm-hmm. last week and I mentioned we listened to the, uh, the book as we were driving. We had a seven-hour drive. So we went to Calistoga and I've been getting... Uh, let's see. I still don't swear on the podcast, do I? I bet I, I'm not good. We, very, very rarely do. I was getting, I was getting a lot of uh, uh, grief over the fact that I went to Calistoga and everybody said it's a very bougie vacation. Now, to me, it was not bougie at all. I went to a motel mm-hmm. uh, that had mineral springs and mud baths. And I, I think the mud bath is what triggered this idea that it's bougie. But there's not. Have you ever had a mud bath? Yes, I have. Where you go and they cover you with peat moss and volcanic ash and hot mineral water, and it's actually it's the opposite of bougie. I think. Do you find my vacation to have been bougie? Well, I think like what you said when you say you're doing a mud bath, it is like one of these kind of like rich people trendy things to do. Yes. So I think that's probably why somebody said that. You know, um, you know, it. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I look, you know, I, you stayed in a motel. I mean, I don't know how much you paid for the motel. Um, $271 a night. Okay. Well, that's not bougie. That's not bougie and how at much, all. And how much was the mud bath? The mud bath was uh, 75 bucks. Oh, okay. To sit in dirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So I, we, uh, I, I would argue not bougie at all. I would strongly recommend it. I, I would strongly recommend a mud bath. You just soak away you know, all the stress of life. That's what I really needed on my vacation. Um, and, and, it, uh, and it has, has, has certain um, properties where it uh, smooths your skin. I mean, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't and like and a- you soak out, you sweat out all the toxins and all the, you know, all the stuff that fancy people actually, there you go. There you go. Fancy right. people say. And, and do do you have a lot of toxins? I had a lot of toxins. <laughs> I had a lot of toxins. So we were at the uh, driving range yesterday. Yeah, and uh, every I, you know, if you listen to the show, you know I've got a match 
coming up against my uh, radio partner, John Ireland, on September the 10th. Uh, nine holes, and he is giving me 25 strokes. So, and it's at a tough course. It's called Black Gold. Sue, mm-hmm. to me, I don't think I've got any chance. Now, you watched me swing. Mm-hmm. Do you think I have any chance of staying within 25 strokes of John Ireland, who's been playing since I, I think his dad put like a, a, a driver in his cradle when he was growing up? I mean, John has been playing golf since he was a little kid. Do I have any shot at all? No. Thank you. You don't, but you are really good for somebody who just started taking lessons. You think? I know. Because I've been golfing for a very long time. I have been to many driving ranges. I've been with people that have been golfing for 20-something years. When you connect, and you were connecting a lot yesterday. You had some strays that went off left and right, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, look look at um, Chris Morales. Oh, I Chris mean, Morales. He's an amazing who's... golfer, and, and he had some strays. Yeah, you know no, he is, sure, it, it happens. And it professional happens. golfers have some strays. Yeah. So for for where you're at in the limited amount of time that you've been doing it, you're great. And and I'm saying that 25 strokes, um, if you were playing on a more of a pedestrian course, right. like if you were pay- playing on like even the Rancho Park course, you yeah, know? right, right. But that course that you guys are playing on is like... It is a bitch. It is really difficult yeah, for it's a really, really good golfer. Yes. And yes. I think where you're, you may have some issues is the distance from, from some of those holes and the hilliness and just the terrain, um, you know, because if it's just a flat course, yeah, I would say, you know what, nine holes, you maybe had a shot at it, but it's, it's going to be a very it's difficult course. It's a beast course. of a course, and I have yet to hit a driver. Right. But I really do. And I said this to you yesterday. I really think when John sees how you're hitting the ball, he's going to be super impressed. Oh, nice. Nice. So an impressive loser on September the 10th. Well, you know. Very competitive, Sue. I'm very competitive. I understand that. But golf, you know, it's like one of the hardest things to do. And it's crazy because the ball is still. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't have a 95 mile an hour, you know, curve ball, you know, like you don't have a curve ball, you don't have a fastball, you don't have a splitter, you don't have something that drops out. It's stationary and it still is one of the hardest things. Yeah, it is really, really, and really frustrating. God, it's frustrating. And I'm terrible at like being in the moment and like after I hit a bad shot, I'm like, oh, damn it. I'm uh, now I'm screwed. No, you, you just know, like that's time. that's my mentality. I can't get out of the past. Yeah, and that's the thing that you really, really have to learn how to do when you're. When you you really going to have to hone that in when you're golfing with him because you're. You know, chances are you're going to have some shots that are clunkers, and oh, you have sure. to just put it away. Just put it away because you know, just just go to the next shot. Because when I said to you yesterday, I said um, when when you were following through, yeah, and the ball was flying, and I said you know what to do. You know what to do. It's just that you haven't been doing it that long that it's just second nature. Right. It's got to be repeatable. Right. Like you can get it right, but can you get it repeatable? That's, that's what I need a lot of work. But but you had a lot of repeatable yesterday. Yeah. You have a lot to be happy about yesterday. By the way, bougie. Now we're talking about mud baths and golf. (laughs) 
But, you know, when I play golf, like people probably think that, oh, God, you play golf. It's bougie. You know, I play and, and I'm part of this thing. It's a players club. Yes. It has a little bit of a seniors kind of and it also has a seniors aspect to it because I'm yeah. over 60. So I play golf at, at some courses for like 15 bucks for 18 holes. Oh, that's great. And sometimes I'm getting a cart and a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so it may be a bougie sport, yes. but I don't play bougie courses. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be golf guy. It's never been my goal is to be golf guy. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, if you would have told me like a year ago that you would be playing golf, I would have, I would have bet all the money in the world that that would not happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's happening. I don't put you and golf together, but you're good. Yeah. Yeah. That's great here. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, it's time to talk about, um, our really good friend, Jacob Imrani and Jacob has been helping people who've been injured in any kind of accident, car accident, motorcycle accident, accident as a pedestrian, accident at work for 25 years in this town. And he's good enough to sponsor this pop. He is, he is our official sponsor of Culture Pop, and we appreciate that a lot. If you are injured in any kind of accident, I, I can't recommend more strongly that you call Jacob Imrani. He's the best at this. You see the billboards, you see the TV ads, you hear him on the radio, uh, you hear him here on Culture Pop. I mean, he's the biggest and he is the best. He is a friend of mine. He is, uh, he's been in my house for parties. Uh, he is, uh, he's a dad. He's a sports fan. He's a regular guy, but he also is that guy that can help you out when you're in a jam after you're injured or ac- injured in any kind of accident. So remember the number, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. I see the smirk already. 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call, Call Jacob. Jacob. Right. You know, maybe we, you know, maybe we need like, is it going to be like, you know what it is? It's kind of like the delay on, on when you're, you're doing your, uh, you're doing your backswing and then you're yes. going forward. Yes. Right? So maybe we go like one. Well, you, you know, know the way, you know what I use during the backswing? I, I use Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Her name works perfectly for tempo. And, and, and would you come up with that? Um, I think somebody called in and gave me that. <laughs> it was a caller's idea. That's funny. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. There's your Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, if you're listening right now and you have not subscribed, please do that. Subscribe on iTunes or on Spotify. Uh, you can rate us. You can review us. We got a lot of great stuff coming up on the show. Sue, fun today with Andy Richter. It was. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>